ever again this morning. Let's say these together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You can have a seat. Amen to those words. And as you're finding your seat, let me say again, good morning and welcome. It is good uh, to be with you today. It's good to be back with you, I should say, as well, because last Sunday I was out. I want to thank my friend Colin Packer for filling in for me. Uh, I had an opportunity last week. I was suffering in the state of Montana. Um, I have, Lana and I have some friends from college that uh, are a part of a church up there that live up there, and they called this summer and said, hey, would you come and speak at a retreat that we're going to have? And so I, I, I said, I don't know, October in Montana? Oh, okay, you twisted my arm, and I agreed to do that. Um, but it was good to be there. I took, was able to take Drew with me and, and have some time with him, which was a blessing as well. Um, and so I hope that, that uh, you enjoyed Colin and that message. I was catching it as we were boarding our plane to fly home uh, last Sunday, so appreciated his words. Uh, I want to pray for us as we start this morning, so let's do that as, as we start. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the good news uh, that you accept us just as we are. <clears throat> we thank you for the good news that you uh, are alone, are enough, as Ray reminded us. We ask, God, that as we uh, turn our attention to your word this morning, that you'll open our eyes and our ears uh, so that we can see and hear what you want us to see and hear. Uh, we recognize as we think about and talk about this fruit of patience that it is a most difficult fruit, it seems, to be cultivated in your people. And so we ask this morning that you will, uh, you will be all to us, that you will as we wait for you, uh, that you'll be patient with us as we, uh, by the power of your spirit, have this fruit cultivated in our hearts. Help us to be increasingly aware of the ways that we have been made capable by the spirit to be these kinds of people that you believe that we can be. And we ask that you'll, um, you'll bless our time this morning as we study together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, I was in uh, the school pickup line, picking Olivia up from school. And if you've been in one of these lines, you know that this is a place where you better bring the patience. Uh, the ugly can come out of people in a way unlike maybe any other place in a school pickup line. In this line that, that, you have to, that I have to wait in, there are cars merging from multiple directions into the school parking lot. And so it takes a while to get to the front of the line. I mean, I've waited a, an hour, you know, just sometimes you're just sitting there and you see cars moving ahead of you, but you're not moving, so you're never really sure exactly what's going on. By the time you get there, the teachers are seeing, they're working really hard to get people through this line, but it just takes a long time. And so the other day, all these cars are merging. I get up kind of close to the, the school entrance and there's a, a car coming from another, one of the other directions. There's like cars coming from three directions. And so one of the directions where a car is coming from, there's this guy. And by this point, you know, you see, everybody sees at this point in the line, there's a clear pattern that's been established, right? 
this car is going to go, and then this car is going to go, and then this car is going to go. They want to start over with this line, and everybody's got to turn, right? And it's kind of pretty obvious that that's what we're doing. You go one, two, three, okay, now it's back to this line like this. And so it's pretty obvious that this, uh, this pattern has been established. And so a car goes, a car goes, it's my turn, and this guy, he gasses it, and he jumps in front of me. And, uh, and when this happened... That would, have been, that would have been, you know, enough to irritate me because the, the pattern had been established and it was my turn. It wasn't his turn. That would have been enough to irritate me. But after it happened, he looks over at me like, how dare you try to go? It was my turn to go, which it clearly was not his turn to go, right? And so I interpreted that as him saying, you better not try to get in front of me. And I was like, are you serious? You know, this guy, and I, so I actually said out loud, of course, he couldn't hear me, but it made me feel better. Well, okay, man, go ahead. I'll literally be right behind you. We're all going to go two miles an hour to the front of the school line to pick up our kids. Your, your child will get in the car, and my child will get in the car, and then we'll exit the parking lot just seconds behind each other, right? And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that I could have been saying the same exact thing to me. I really felt like that I told him, but it turns out that it was just you know, uh, this thing that kind of grows up in us, right? What was it that made, first of all, that guy react to me the way that he did? And why do I often do the same thing to other people? And I was thinking about this, and, and, and I, I think that it has something to do with our understanding of time, right? It's hard to imagine as you think about your day, a day apart from the clock. We wake up to an alarm clock. We look at the clock on our way to getting our day started, we may glance at a clock. We get ready, we eat breakfast, we head to work or school, all with an eye on the clock. All day long, we move from this thing to that thing, doing our jobs, going about life. Our evenings are often filled with things that have their own set schedule and time. We have the time on our wrists. We have the time in our pockets, on our phone. And, and I can hear some of you now saying to me, Doug, I'm retired. I don't pay attention to the clock. Yes, you do. Even if you're retired, whatever it is that you do is determined by the clock. Appointments, meetings, your golf tea time, ball games for grandkids, church, everything starts sometime, which is why you also pay attention to the clock more than you realize. And time is so precious to us, right? So much so that just a moment of irritation, like a moment somebody cutting in front of me, even though I'm going to be just seconds behind him, I could have said the same exact thing to myself I'm going to be seconds behind him. That second that I lose feels irritating to me because it was my turn. There was a pattern that was established. Clearly, you're breaking the rules here, right? Time is precious to us. We don't like to wait. We don't like to have our plans or our agenda interrupted. And as I was thinking about this, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, I was thinking about that school pickup line, and I was thinking about this relationship that we have with time, with the clock, and it made me wonder if there is a connection between the relationship that we have with time and our ability to think about and cultivate patience or for patience to be cultivated in our lives. See, love and joy and peace, the first three fruits that Paul has mentioned in Galatians 5, they all sound very spiritual, I think. Love and joy and peace, right? Maybe if you say them like that. I think love and joy and peace are great for Sunday, for days where we're thinking about things like this. But this word, patience, 
I think I've decided is a Monday through Friday word. It's not a Sunday word as much. It's, it's a little easier to have patience today. Patience is a, is a Monday through Friday word. It feels like it has a lot to do with how we live our lives during the week. Patience is a word for the days when life happens, isn't it? And the word that Paul uses for patience is the Greek word makrothumia. And I don't often share the Greek word, but this word is too much fun to pronounce, makrothumia. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you and say makrothumia. All right, so this word is commonly translated patience, but it literally means this. It means long-tempered. It's the combination of two words, long, and then sort of this, this other word, having thumos, thumas, having to do with this, the idea of like delaying or taking your time, you know, extending your passion. And so it literally means long-tempered, maybe as opposed to like short-tempered. So when someone takes a long time to have an outburst of passion, you might say, they are being patient. Patience is, to say it a couple of different ways, sort of the long holding out of your mind or your mouth before you act or you speak. It's remaining calm when you're provoked. Patience is enduring in the face of misfortune or unfavorable circumstances. In some translations, this word makrothumia gets translated as forbearance, to just kind of bear up under difficult circumstances or bear up under circumstances that are difficult with another person. In, in older Bible translations, uh, it often, makrothumia often gets translated long-suffering, which might be my personal favorite. I don't usually default to King James Version, but I think King James might have gotten this one right. I think long-suffering captures the essence of what this word really is about. And I think it's a helpful way to describe and to think about uh, what Paul is talking about when he lists this word patience, what we know of as patience here in Galatians 5. And one of the reasons that I think the word long-suffering is helpful is because there is a connection, think about this, between patience and suffering. Think about it. If you are patient with a difficult situation, a difficult circumstance in your life, what you're actually doing by being patient is you're choosing to endure long, that's the long part, suffering or some kind of hardship and wait for a better or a different outcome than the one that is ahead of you than the one you're currently experiencing, right? And if we're talking, that, that's like with a circumstance or situation, but if we're talking about long suffering with an, a person, having patience with another person, it may mean that you're, you are choosing, you are choosing to suffer rather than to make them suffer, which might mean keeping your mouth closed or not posting the thing you really want to post. What you're actually doing is you are choosing to suffer because you really want to do it, right? You really want to say it. You really want to get the last word, but you choose not to because you want to embrace this posture of patience. And what you're actually doing is you are taking on the suffering instead of inflicting it upon them. Patience, is, this is exactly what patience is. It's the ability to restrain your feelings, your thoughts, your words, your actions, depending on the situation. Patience is the capacity to be wronged, to absorb the wrong, and to not retaliate. Obviously, the clearest picture of this is Christ, right? 
who has been increasingly patient with us, who on the cross absorbed the wrong and did not retaliate, did not inflict it back upon us. And woo, man, this is, this is tough. This is hard. What this means is, is that if you feel like you're suffering when you're patient, it might be because you actually are suffering. Not suffering physically in the sense that we often think about suffering, but you, you may, you're suffering in another way. Mentally, emotionally, maybe you're just suffering because you're choosing to do some, not do something that you want to do. I want you to think about the word, uh, the noun form of this word, patience, which is patient. Patient not only refers to like a character trait, you are patient, but it also refers to a person who is under the, the care of a health professional, right? And so, and I'm doing a lot of work to kind of explain this word because this word is, it, it kind of gets, gets translated a lot of different ways. It's understood a lot of different ways in English. But this word, this, the noun form of this word, patient, was a word that was developed in the Middle Ages to describe a person that, is, that was suffering patiently. They were a patient, right? So this is the thing that, this is the reason I share that. This is why this is interesting to me. Being patient and being a patient under the care of a doctor have this thing in common. Both require coming to terms with yielding control to another person. In the case of being patient, you're yielding control to God, which we're going to talk a lot about here in just a second. In the case of being a patient under the care of a doctor, you're saying, I need your, I'm going to suffer patiently while I wait for you to help diagnose and heal this problem that I have, right? That's what they have in common. And so I think it helps to think about patience as this, this idea. Patience is coming to terms with the yielding of control to another person. That's why you don't like how it feels when you get stuck in unexpected traffic because you're having to yield control and you don't like that. This is why you don't like how it feels when a meeting or when church goes, long, goes on longer than you think it should. This is why you don't like how it feels when God doesn't answer your prayer. This is why you don't like how it feels when you're having to wait longer for some circumstance or situation to change because we don't like the way these feel because all of these things, think about it, are painful reminders that you are not in control. Right? Patience is coming to terms with, this is bigger than me. This may not be about me. I guess God is doing something that I can't see. All of that is yielding control to another. Most of us, we admire people that model patience, people who endure difficult stuff. They show us what it means to be. They, they give us a clear picture of what it actually means to be long-suffering. And we love stories of underdogs. Think about the stories you love about an underdog. Underdog stories are, are this kind of story. They're people who have overcome circumstances for longer than they should have, and they finally break through, right? This is why we love underdog stories. And the Bible tells a lot of stories like this, but none may do this better than the story of Job. And I want to look this morning at just a, some a parts of Job's story. I'm going to start in Job chapter 1, verse 1. This is what 
the story, how the story begins. In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Job had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, here before we keep reading, let's just stop there. This is what the story is doing. It's sort of setting up the idea that Job is a man that has it all, right? He has family, he's got a wife, he's got kids. What you need to hear when they're listing all of those things he has is that he has enormous wealth, he has land, he has animals, he has servants working for him, and not only that, he's respected in not only his city, but in the entire region where he is. He has it all. And then this happens. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. You're kind of picking up on a pattern here. And then while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Job, your sons and daughters, they were still feasting. They apparently liked to do that and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. They didn't even notice the first catastrophe that happened. And then while sudden, when suddenly while they're doing this, a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now, this is an incredibly, this is a wild story. Within the course of a day, as the story is told, Job receives four messages, messages that come with this news that he has lost most of what he has, had, what he has. Enemies attacked and take his cattle. Fire destroys his sheep and his servants. Another neighboring country, the Chaldeans, steal his camels and kill his, the servants that are tending to those camels. And then on top of all of that, he loses his children to this natural disaster. And what we read isn't all that even happens to Job, right? He, he'll later suffer a horrible skin condition. He'll, his health will fail. His wife will give him bad advice. His, his friends try to provide explanations for why God does the things, why, why the things happen, these tragedies happen to him. His story is 42 chapters long, so it's too long to retell it right now. But the question that I want these these verses to sort of stir up in us is, how would you respond if all of that happened to you? How would you respond if all of that happened to you? What would you do? And what would you say? Well, this is how Job responds, at least in this early part of the story. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell on the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
So Job gets up, and he tears his clothes, and he shaves his head, but then he says, everything, in my, including my very life, has been given to me by my maker. I came into the world with nothing. I will leave it with nothing. And Job's response is to worship. See, Satan thinks that if that Job is a man who is only good, who only resists evil because God has blessed him. That if Job loses it all, that he, Job will curse God and give up. But the twist in the story, the unexpected thing that the enemy doesn't prepare for, is that Job will remain faithful. Job will wait for God in the midst of incredible suffering that he has endured. He pledges his heart to God and says, you are all to me. But I want you to hear me because we're not reading the whole story very clearly. Job's holding on and his waiting are not without questions. And if you ever hear anybody teach on Job and not bring this up, you should, you should bring it up with them because his waiting are not without questions. They're not without, this season is not without conf incredible confusion for him. Right, if you keep reading the later chapters of the story, Job asks all the questions. Job wrestles with God. He's indignant with God. He challenges God to come before him and provide answers. And eventually, in the end, the very end in chapter 42, Job is confronted. This is the order in which it happens. Job is confronted by God. Then Job is comforted by God. Right? He's... he's humbled in the process of this. He's confronted. God shows up, but then God comforts him. This is what it says at the end of Job 42, verses 12 and 17. It's not going to be up here, but I just want you to hear these words. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Now, what I want you to hear from this story, I want you to hear this story like you might hear one of Jesus' parables in the New Testament. And the reason I say that is whenever I, I tell you the story about the prodigal son, you don't debate whether or not the prodigal son was a real person. You realize that we're wanting, what we're wanting to do is to get the point from this story. And I think lots of debate around Job and Job's life and what all happens and what his friends say. And if you've studied this book, there's lots of opinions about that. But we could do all of that and miss the point of the story. And the point is that the last word from God for Job is not one of suffering and struggle, but of blessing. The last word from God for Job is a word of life and fullness. Job is someone that is known for patience, but interestingly, the word patience doesn't really appear in the story anywhere. Right? You see the evidence of the way he, as the way he lives. You see the difference in the way he lives and the way his friends live. And one place we get the idea that Job was patient is actually from the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, uses Job as an example in his letter. Listen to what James says in James chapter 5. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. There it is. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, keep that up there just a second. If someone read Job's story, most people would not say, man, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
right? They would think, this is terrible. Why would this all happen to one guy? But James interprets Job's story and says, you saw what God finally brought about. James is interested in the end of the story. All this stuff that Job went through, he stayed with it. He remained faithful. He endured. Makrothumia. He had patience. He believed that something was going to make sense if he just held on long enough. This is a part of a larger conversation, right? And James is writing about this idea about patience. But what's, what's this, these words about Job come right after what he says in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. He says, be patient. This is just two verses before what we just read about Job. James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, yielding control to another. There's that idea. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. When, what James is saying is that even if the word patience doesn't really appear in the story of Job, that's the message that comes through loud and clear. Because what we see in Job, church, is an example of a person that models for us how to be a long sufferer. We see an example of a person that, that shows us how to be a long sufferer. How can I do this, right? What we see in Job is an example of a person that shows us how to remain faithful in the, to God in the midst of unbelievable circumstances. What we see in Job is an example of someone who had patience to continue to trust. Hear that again. Patience to continue to trust that God would give an answer even though he did not understand what in the world was going on in his life. And the reason we need Job's story is because we need examples. We need examples so that we know that it's possible for us to. Because right now, there are some of us listening that are not sure how the situation is going to work out. We feel stretched, we feel worried, we feel concerned, we feel irritated, and we feel like we're suffering. We know we're suffering, and we're not sure how much longer we can endure the suffering that we're living with. And, and because I really, I want to be every week, I'm not always great at it, but I want to be practical every week. This is my practical advice. Are you ready? No quitting. You can't quit. You cannot quit. Don't give up. In order to be people that are long sufferers, that are long tempered, that are full of macrothumia, we must remain faithful. We must keep walking with the Lord. We must trust that God is full of compassion and mercy, even when we don't see compassion or mercy playing out in our life or our situation or in that difficult relationship, as James said. Don't quit. We need examples like Job because we want to quit. And oftentimes, we don't see a way forward. And I want to... I was to hear this story this morning as one of many examples 
that play out in scripture and in history of faithful, faithful people who have committed their lives to God, who have pledged their all to God, no matter what comes. And what those stories are, are witnesses to us that we can do it too, because we aren't alone. There is a cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on and going, you got it, you can do this. God will make a way in the end. And, and listen, I, I know what I'm talking about can be hard, is hard, which is why we need examples so that we know it can be done. If Job can do it with all the tragedy and trauma and suffering that happened in his life, it is possible for you and me to do it as well with little things like school pickup lines and with big things like hard relationships or unanswered prayers or suffering that don't feel like that they have an answer. Not by our own strength. It is not by your strength that it's possible. Let's be very clear about that too. But by the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in us. You and I feel often incapable of enduring longer than this long. But the Spirit is capable of producing in us something that we cannot produce on our own, producing this deeply important fruit that, that you, you know, we see the world is in desperate need of today. People who will be patient, who will choose patience, who will choose to suffer so that others don't. trusting that God will make a way in the end. One of the ways that I, I want to think about this as we close is this. Patience is waiting for the one that is worth waiting for. Patience is waiting for the one that is worth waiting for, trusting that God is doing something in our time that we can't see, but we will eventually see that the Lord will bring about in time, yielding control of our time <clears throat> to God the one who holds time in his hands. And in the meantime, our job is to remain faithful, to not give up, and to not quit. Let's pray. Father, as we think this morning about this important fruit, we confess, God, that we are often impatient, trusting in your, what often feels like slow work is hard. And so we ask again that you, by the power of your spirit, will, will produce this in us, will make us capable to endure, to be people who are long sufferers, who commit to stick with it and to continue walking with you, remaining faithful to you, not giving up, not quitting. And I know this morning as I look out in this room, as I think about people who will watch later online, I know that the suffering that many of these people that I love is real, is felt, is ongoing, is hard. And I just pray today in a very tangible way that you'll wrap your arms of love around them, that you'll make them very aware of the way that you're working in their life, in their midst, that you'll give them some encouragement to know that <clears throat> you are compassionate and merciful and that you're working even when we can't see it. We thank you for the stories of people in scripture, the stories of people who have lived through the centuries who are a part of this cloud of witnesses that we believe uh, is, is a part of this faith, this Christian faith that we have. We pray that their stories will remind us that we can do it too. 
as we live in this world that is oh so impatient, easily irritated, angry, not long-tempered, short-tempered, always wanting to get the last word. May we be people who are the opposite of those things because we're people who walk by the Spirit. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who can make all things possible. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning. If you have any prayer needs, you can still text those in. Uh, if you have anything you want to make uh, us aware of publicly, please do that. Encourage you to find somebody around you if you want to do that as well. Let's do all those things as we respond to God and sing this next song.